I don't know who needs to know this, but Sir Isaac Newton once said, I can calculate the movement of the stars but not the madness of men. He was talking in reference to the South Sea Bubble. Hi, my name is Neja and we have been looking at the two of the earliest known stock market bubbles, South Sea Bubble and Tulip Mania. In my last podcast, I talked about Tulip Mania and a little bit about Mississippi Scheme. Now we come to the Wolf of Wall Street-like story of South Sea Bubbles. As with the previous episode, I will again be borrowing heavily from Charles McKay and his excellent book, um, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, and also from P.M. Garber and his work, Famous First Bubbles. Year was 1710. Acts of Union had united the kingdoms of England and Scotland as a single sovereign state known as Great Britain three years previously, and Queen Anne was the ruler. She was, let's just say, not at her 100% health-wise, and on top of it, a couple of ongoing wars, one of them with Spain, remember this fact, they had made the government a little hmm, debt-ridden, well, a lot debt-ridden. So a new Chancellor of Exchequer was appointed, named Robert Harley. And Harley's immediate concern was to find monies for the next quarter's payroll for the British Army stationed in the continent. This in a roundabout manner brought him into close contact with the likes of George Caswell, a banker and a politician in House of Commons, and John Blunt, London stockbroker. British House of Commons appointed a National Debt Investigation Committee at the instigation of Robert Harley. It, this committee was basically Harley, Harley's brother, Harley's brother-in-law, John Ileby, and a couple other people. This committee concluded that a total of £9 million was owed by the government and there was no income allocated to pay it off. So then they, meaning Harley's, Caswell and Blunt, they proposed that this government debt be converted into equity in a new joint stock entity, South Sea Company. Something along these lines had previously been done and successfully by Bank of England and East India Company. So the idea here was that the South Sea Company would enjoy future profits anticipated from a monopoly in English trade with the Spanish colony of South America. As McKay explains so clearly, Harley granted the merchants sole rights to trade in the South Seas, what we would now recognize at the east coast of Latin America. People flattered Harley, calling the enterprise Earl of Oxford's masterpiece. From the very beginning, the South Sea Company was expected to deliver huge profits. Everybody had heard of the gold and silver mines of Peru and Mexico. The mines were thought to be inexhaustible, Surely, if the UK's manufactured products were shipped there, the natives would pay for them with 100 times their weight in gold and silver. Insiders spread a rumor that Spain would give the UK free trade access to four of its ports in Chile and Peru in return for a share in its South Seas business. This rumor increased confidence in the South Sea Company and its share price rose on the stock market. Well, in fact, Philip V of Spain uh, never had any intention of granting free trade rights to UK in Latin America. I'm here going to quote Daniel Defoe, the writer of Robinson Crusoe. 
to explain why expecting free trade access to their Latin American domains from Spain was probably not the brightest idea. This quote comes from his essay on the South Sea trade. It's available in its original script on Google Books. And once you have figured out that all the letter Fs are actually letter S, you will have a good time reading it. At least I did. So Defoe says, it is so contrary to the nature of their trade, so destructive to their own interests, and would be so fatal to the very life and being of the Spanish dominions in Europe, I mean as to commerce, that unless the Spaniards are to be divested of common sense, infatuate and given up, abandoning their own commerce, throwing away the only valuable stake they have left in the world, and in short, bent on their own ruin, we cannot suggest that they will ever, on any consideration or for any equivalent part with so valuable, indeed so inestimable jewel, as the exclusive trade to their own plantations. There were some negotiations, but not a whole lot came out of it. In 1713, the Treaty of Utrecht was signed with Spain with a lot of fanfare, but it was much less favorable than had been hoped, allowing the company to send only one ship each year for general trade. Oh, and Britain was granted the right to supply Spain's colonies with African slaves for 30 years, 4,800 slaves each year. Just germs the stomach, doesn't it? This lukewarm treaty should have put a damper on the whole South Sea scenario, but instead of learning any lessons from this and being cautious, British government and South Sea Company actually doubled down on it. Through its dealings with the government, the name of South Sea Company was continually in the public eye. Despite the fact that the company earned very little from its South American trade, it actually flourished at a as a financial institution. Meanwhile, Queen Anne died on August 1st, 1714. And at the election of directors for the company, the South Sea Company, in 1715, the Prince of Wales, future King George II, was elected as the governor of the company. And the new King George I and the Prince of Wales both had significant holdings in the company, as did two of the mistresses of King George as did a whole lot of prominent politicians. So share in the company were in great demand and the directors began looking for even more ways to grow the company further. Charles Mackay believes that apparently the creators of South Sea Bubbles were quite impressed by the Mississippi scheme of John Law and they wanted to try a similar scheme in England they were not deterred by the expected failure of the Mississippi scheme. They were sufficiently arrogant to believe they could avoid the French problems and stretch loans infinitely far without default. So fast forward to January 1720. British Parliament considered rival proposals from the South Sea Company and Bank of England to wipe out the national debt. Robert Walpole, who is now actually considered to be de facto the first prime minister of the country, supported Bank of England's proposal, while John Allaby 
one of the members of the debt investigation committee, he supported the South Sea Company. Despite Walpole speaking out against it, and he spoke out vehemently against it, South Sea Company's proposals were accepted as best for the country, and leave was given to bring in a bill to that effect. Demand for the South Sea Company's shares on the stock exchange now reached a fever point. Shares doubled in price and then after that continued to rise consistently because by using various methods, rumors, insider tradings, bribery, you name it, the directors kept the prices rising until it reached finally a thousand pound at the beginning of August. McKay says, the bubble was now full-blown and began to quiver and shake preparatory to its bursting. And then the bubble burst. Why? Well, in part because reality hit. By this time, it was trickling in and anyways. War had again started with Spain and any prospect of profit from trade was now looking dimmer than a broken light bulb. Company had been just bloating on the promises and few returns. But mostly because that £1,000 per share, that meant that people suddenly started selling a lot to realize their profits. A lot of people did. So the stocks crashed. People all over country at this time lost a tremendous amount of money. People from all walks of life, they lost their life savings. People of modest means who had become rich in a hurry they now became destitute almost overnight. Suicides became common, and again, from all walks of life. People who had lost so much, they also became very angry and they demanded justice and revenge. The South Sea Company directors were so hated at this time that they were not able to just go out. They used to just stay indoors for the fear that they will be attacked if they went out. South Sea Company directors were actually um, arrested and their estates forfeited. John Ileby was Chancellor of Exchequer at this time and his involvement with the company led to his resignation and utter disgrace. Many of the other politicians were also impeached, expelled. For example, Postmaster General at the time, James Cragg the Elder, he took poison and died and his son who was the Southern Secretary also became ill and died. And there are other cases uh, like this. South Sea Company did not die, by the way. It continued uh, after a fashion till 1853, doing its trade, managing part of the government debt, etc. Charles Dickens used this model of company repeatedly in his works, and um, especially Nicholas Nickleby, you will see that. Also in others, uh, you'll see in Martin Chuzzlewit and Little Dorrit. And there is another book, it's a seriously good book, it's called Conspiracy of Paper. It's a fiction, but it's a really, really good book. It's by David Liss, and actually this book was the first time I had learned about the South Sea Bubble. Well, so coming back to it. In order to restore public confidence in the financial system, the newly appointed First Lord of the Treasury, guess who, Robert Walpole, he removed all 33 of the company directors and took away most of their wealth. This money went uh, for most part 
to the victims and the stock of South Sea Company was divided between the Bank of England and East India Company. Oh, and Walpole made sure that King George and his two mistresses were protected. Shrewd man. One more interesting factoid is that Bubble Act of 1720 came out of all this mess. This act basically forbade the creation of joint stock companies without royal charter. Funny thing is, that it was pushed uh, and promoted by the South Sea Company itself because seeing their meteoric rise, many, many other mini bubbles had started. Most of them were totally ridiculous, of course, but the climate was, um, shall we say, bubble friendly. So they were flourishing and South Sea Company took offense and lobbied for the passage of this act and before it, its collapse. So at least that came out of it. However, as McKay puts it, it was long time before the public finances and public confidence were restored completely. I don't know who needed to know this, but now you do.